mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, teachers have always had one of the hardest jobs in the world, and it's not getting any easier. But one expert is challenging her fellow educators to turn crises into opportunities. Also this morning, it's not just the players who need to be at their best. Super Bowl Sunday is the biggest stage for advertisers as well, where the stakes are just as high and the pressure is just as intense. And happening around town, it's a truly hypnotizing show you won't want to miss. The world's funniest comedic hypnotist is coming to the University of Findlay on Friday. We'll get a preview. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. So, I don't know uh, what this... Uh, says, but it cannot be good. This cannot be a good thing for Nikki Haley. The Nevada primary, the Nevada Republican primary was held yesterday. And uh, it's Nevada is weird. They've got a primary that was yesterday. They've got a, a caucus that is tomorrow. And each candidate had to choose whether they wanted to participate in one or the other. Won't go into all of the details as to why they have both. But uh, it, it's a big to-do in, uh, in Nevada, has to do with internal party politics and all of that. So they have uh, one of each, but you can only participate in one. Uh, the primary doesn't count in awarding delegates. The caucus does. And so why anyone would pick the primary that doesn't count over the caucus that does, I don't know. But Nikki Haley uh, chose the primary to uh, contest in the primary. Donald Trump. Uh, chose to participate uh, in the caucus. And so the primaries was held yesterday. Nikki Haley had no major challenger, and yet she still lost to the option of none of the above. <laughs> now, I'm not a professional political strategist or anything like that, but I can't imagine that that's very good for your campaign. <laughs> It's not a good look when you lose to none of the above in a primary that doesn't even count. Uh, I can't imagine <laughs> that is. I can't imagine that that's a, a very good feeling for the Nikki Haley camp. <laughs> there are hopes for for the uh, Republican uh, nomination. <clears throat> a spokesperson for the Haley campaign says uh, she is staying in the race despite the loss. To none of the above. <laughs> oh my goodness. <clears throat> Big political story of the day. Uh, among the other first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, I found this interesting when it popped up on the newswire. Meta is Facebook, Instagram. Uh, they are now saying that they want to label artificially... Uh, artificially generated images on all of their platforms, across all of their platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. AI-generated images will have to be labeled. The, they say they are working on technology that will identify and add labels to images created by third-party AI tools. Uh, their concern with the 2024 presidential election coming up, the possibility of AI being used to spread false information. For now, they're working on technology that would automatically label this, but for, for now, 
They will be adding a feature that will allow users to label AI-generated content that they share. But they would, the people who post it would have to manually uh, label it themselves. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that'll work. <laughs> I mean, if your intent is, is to spread false information and or, or scam someone, why would you label the content as artificially intelligence uh, you know, generated by AI? <laughs> Which, I mean, if you have less than honorable intentions, my guess is you're not going to follow the rules. Now, Meta says that users who fail to comply could face penalties. But uh, again, if, <laughs> if you're a bad guy, uh, then you're not going to pay attention to the rules anyway. I mean, it's like, oh, we're trying to, uh, to scam someone, but we can't because we don't want to break the rules on labeling our content. Uh, I don't know that this will work, but they're, at least they're trying to do something, I guess. <laughs> Just weird story. Um, we've got it all figured out. Did you hear about this? Uh, this is uh, big news in the world of uh, technology and streaming services. ESPN, Fox, and Warner Brothers Discovery are have announced they are launching a joint streaming service later this year that would combine all of the live sports content that each of those entities holds the rights to into one streaming service. If you are a sports fan especially, this is big news. Companies announced they plan to release the sports streaming service sometime in the fall. It doesn't have a name yet, uh, doesn't uh, have a pricing structure yet, but the companies say it will consist of all of the broadcast and cable networks owned by Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers that carry sports. And that would include ESPN+. Uh, subscribers would also be able to bundle the product with Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and Max, if they so choose. But one streaming service for all of that sports content. Now, there are a couple of uh, entities that aren't participating, most notably CBS, which holds the rights to the uh, AFC, most of the AFC contests in the NFL. So that would be a big glaring gap. But that's a lot of content uh, across all of the major sports, uh, football, baseball, uh, hockey, um, soccer, uh, auto racing, golf. I mean, that's a lot of uh, content uh, if it comes to pass. So uh, still a lot to be hashed out there, but I guess it is coming uh, in the fall. It'll be interesting uh, to see uh, what comes of that and if that will accelerate cord cutting even more. By the way, speaking of sports, um, you know, Carl Weathers, the actor, uh, passed away uh, just a few days ago. And apparently it was announced yesterday that he will still appear in the Super Bowl commercials for FanDuel. The Rocky actor died Thursday. FanDuel said it would make adjustments to the commercial, which already showed um, they've had teasers for the Super Bowl commercials with Carl Weathers in them. Uh, But the uh, company said he will still appear in the online sports betting platform's ads. The executive vice president of FanDuel said that uh, Weathers' family has been very supportive that they would still like to see Carl in the the commercials. So that'll be interesting. Uh, I'm sure people will be buzzing about that. We're going to talk about... uh, uh, 
the uh, commercial Super Bowl commercial battle coming up a little bit later on this morning too. So uh, I don't know that that's ever happened. That somebody who uh, filmed the commercial and then passed away uh, still appeared in the ad uh, afterwards. Especially not. I'm. I know it's happened, and I know that sometimes. Uh, in the past, pe- commercials have been pulled because somebody who appears in the ads has died, a celebrity or whatever. But to keep it on the air, and especially in the Super Bowl, that's uh, that's pretty big news. So, A couple of other items here. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day from some medical news. Uh, this is the time uh, people, the uh, uh, health experts are encouraging people to get uh, their shots, their flu vaccine, COVID vaccine. That kind of thing, the uh, boosters. And now, new research out of the Oregon Health and Science University. Oregon Health and Science University. They looked at how people received their COVID-19 boosters. And it seems that switching up the arm that you get the vaccine in could improve immune response. Uh, It says switching up arms for multi-dose vaccines could improve immune response by up to four times. Uh, They studied specifically the COVID boosters, but uh, they believe, they theorize that it would apply to all of the, any multi-dose vaccine, apparently. Uh, Researchers say it could have uh, implications for many types of vaccines, yet there is no clear answer as to why switching arms improves results. So... Uh, vaccines you get your uh, vaccines uh switch up your arms from one year maybe uh even years you do the right because i would think it would be uh challenging like with the covid boosters they were the flu shots it's an annual thing so gee i don't remember what arm i had my shot in a year ago um but i guess maybe an even number of years you can do the right side odd numbers you do the left something like that i don't know but that's switch up the arms make the uh, vaccine more uh, effective. Kind of interesting. And lastly, here among the first things you need to know this morning, (laughs) the story of Zachary Taylor. This is a uh, great story to think about as you're uh, just getting up to uh, start your day. It's Wednesday, middle of the week. This is kind of the hardest day because we are uh, the furthest we will be. You know, it's right in the middle of the week. So, you know, the over we're over last weekend but we're still a ways away from this weekend so i always hate wednesday for that reason there's the flat in the middle of the week this is the day that i always want to take off you know more than any other and zachary taylor uh took a, a day off to go ice fishing at peck pond in rhode island and sure enough while he was out there all alone on the frozen lake he recorded himself hauling in a massive 15-pound rainbow trout. That is a state record by three pounds. It is a new state record. Uh, According to news reports, uh, Mr. Taylor skillfully pulled the impressive fish through a six-inch hole on the ice the next day. The Rhode Island Division of Fish and Wildlife officially recognized his catch as the new state record, measuring 29 inches in length and a girth of 21 inches. This is a big fish. The moral of that story, as I see it, uh, go ahead and take the uh, day off and go fishing. That's 
that's what I that's what I hear uh, out of that story. <laughs> I hope he actually was honest about you know taking a day for himself. Uh, I hope he didn't you know call in sick <laughs> and try to pull one over on the boss, and then you catch the <laughs> you catch the state record fish, and uh, your excuse is blown there. Uh, there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly sunny today, a high around 50. Partly cloudy tonight, uh, low in the mid 30s. Hancock County Sheriff Michael Heldman says preparations continue for the upcoming total solar eclipse on Monday, April 8th. My biggest concern is that People get out on the interstate, get out on State Route 15, State Route 30, being four-lane highway, and it gets to be that 3 o'clock magic hour, and it starts getting a little bit darker, and people are going to just stop. And we don't want people to stop. We want to keep moving. Sheriff Heldman is on with WFIN's Chris Oaks to discuss the latest from the Solar Eclipse Task Force, a collaboration of many local entities to get the area ready for that influx of people. Get more on the story on our website. The Ohio Environmental Protection Agency is getting involved in the water issue in Fostoria. People there say it tastes and smells off and many don't want to drink it. The agency says it's collected chlorine readings from the water and found the levels within acceptable ranges. The Ohio EPA says it's received three complaints about it since January 31st. WTOL 11's Amanda Fay reporting. The Ohio State Highway Patrol says the state's stronger distracted driving laws are working and their troopers will continue to keep their eyes peeled for offenders. We'll continue to look for those impaired drivers and get them off our roadways. We'll continue to look for people using electronic devices illegally. Uh, We'll look for speeding violations, uh, anything that really truly does uh, make it safer for the motoring public. And like I said, we do need that commitment from the motors themselves. That's Sergeant Ryan Perpera with the Highway Patrol. Get more in the story on our website. The Ohio Department of Natural Resources is offering free classes as part of their field-to-table program. Classes will teach participants how to prepare and cook venison, including techniques like pressure canning, making jerky and snack sticks, and creating family-friendly dinners. Classes will be held at various locations throughout the state, including Wildlife District headquarters and select educational centers. Officials add that venison can be a healthy and cost-effective alternative to beef and other meats, and that one deer can provide as much as 60 pounds of meat. Eric Brown... ONN News. And remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, now to our cover story this morning. I think we could all agree that teachers have one of the most challenging jobs on the planet, given all that they have to deal with, from politicians dictating curriculum to administrative red tape to parental disengagement to outside influences creating upheaval in the lives of their students. And I think we all know what we're talking about there. And every single one of those challenges was not helped by the pandemic. Well, now the nonprofit organization All It Takes has created a film series to help teachers navigate these difficult times. The latest in the series is called A Trusted Space, Meeting the Moment. And joining us is founder and CEO Lori Woodley. Lori, talk about what inspired this series and how it aims to address these really pressing educational challenges that teachers and students face. Oh, thank you, Chris. Um, Thanks for that intro, too, because, yes, we are in a crisis in education, and our educators are just really struggling. 
Meeting the Moment came actually as an outcropping of an original film that we did during 2020 that was Atressa's Face Redirecting Grief to Growth. And it was very pandemic centric. But you move forward three years. We shot all this in the last six months or so. And we find that we still have so much of the same challenges with our students and our educators. But we're not in a pandemic of a physical thing called COVID-19 mm-hmm. really at this moment, right. but we're in a new one, right? We're in a social pandemic, a social aptitude pandemic in my world, um, in a mental health crisis. And we need to, we don't have enough mental health professionals to fix the whole thing. We need to be all engaged and in, engage our educators in creating environments where healing and resilience can grow naturally. That has to happen. Now, we should point out that you know whereof you speak. You spent 25 years as a school counselor yourself, so you have seen the manifestation of many of these challenges firsthand. Absolutely. And it was getting, when I left um, public school to do what I do now before the pandemic, you know, I was seeing a decline in our students' ability to rebound from disappointment, um, to take responsibility for choices and outcomes that they created. Uh, it was concerning, which drove me to already want to do this, you know, work in resiliency development and ownership and accountability and, um, you know, belief in self, uh, and have to do the work to get there. And then we hit the pandemic and we're on the other side of it. And what maybe used to be a 25% of our population struggling, mm-hmm. we're at, you know, 65% right. or more um, of students who are struggling. And the education, our educators are quitting. Good yeah. educators are leaving the profession and we need them to stay. Right, right. And and as you were mentioning before I so rudely interrupted there, uh, to the extent that the pandemic exposed and or exacerbated those challenges, we have still not recovered. I mean, the kids are back in classrooms, but that's not been the end of it. Oh, no. In fact, it's just getting worse. We're hoping and I think that, you know, as a society, we're like, OK, we're three years away. Just get over it now. Well, they can't just get over it. This is not just a button on button off. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, a a new wiring that our kids are dealing with and our educators, you know, can be catalysts for healing and resilience to grow. But in order to do that, they have to decide and be willing to make small shifts in the way they connect and relate to students. So you talk about transforming crises in education into opportunity. What do you mean by that? So the crisis is a, a crisis of, of connection. Um, and in that, we see the behavior teachers who talk about kids throwing things and saying horrible, awful things. That's a crisis. The opportunity is to be in relationship with each other in a way where I want to talk to you. I feel like you want and care to know about what I'm going through. Um, we don't have to do a lot to create those environments, but we have to do something different than what we're currently doing. And and that's a big piece of getting results. We cannot sit back and continue to think it's all going to change by doing the same thing as we've been doing. The key focus of this initiative is trust in combating stress and equipping educators and empowering students to navigate emotional challenges. Talk about that focus point and how this series attacks those things and and, uh, moves us toward that goal. So the series addresses where we're at, which we've been talking about, but then also offers 
tangible ideas and tools in order to make those small shifts so that we can turn this into an opportunity for growth. And we want, you know, like one of an example is, you know, a teacher can walk into a classroom in a bad mood because everyone knows some of our mornings are not good mornings right. for all humans. Right. And we, we can bark. We can bark at the classroom, sit down, like our impatience can come out as something that puts our kids off and it's like, look, why am I even here? You don't even want me to be here. Well, really what the teacher is dealing with is their own personal thing, not necessarily something about the kid, but the kid is writing it as I don't belong here. You don't care about me, Mm -hmm. but a teacher can shift that messaging to something like, Hey, you know, today's been a really hard morning, not my favorite. And I'm going to ask for a little extra patience with me this morning. Have you ever had that kind of morning where you needed a little extra patience from somebody? Yeah. Right. It's not a it's not a huge change. And we don't have to dissolve, you know, divulge our deep personal secrets about what happens at or home. Ign- or you ignore know, educators. Them. Exactly. And kids need and you hear this in the series in the films when these teachers and children talk. They want to see educators as humans. Mm-hmm. And there's this divide of educators like I'm going to be professional and not be human and kids are like well I can't learn from you unless you're human yeah right like they we need each other to be in a trusted connection where that offers the ability for me to be who I am allow me to be in the space that I'm in and also at the same time make us accountable for our behaviors help our students absolutely positively refrain from you know, outbursts that mm-hmm. get them in trouble and make teachers feel bad and want to run from the profession. Yeah. You, you use that as an example. What are some of the other uh, tools and strategies uh, that are included in the series real briefly? Um, practical understanding of what's happening in our brains. So the neuroscience behind a behavior outburst, you know, when students and, you know, adults, when we understand actually what's happening in our brain, we're able to start looking at it from like, oh, wait, this is happening to me right now. I could choose this breathing technique to calm myself down before I pop off and say something I'm not proud of, Mm -hmm. before I bark at a student and go home feeling like, man, again, another day I didn't reach the student that I've been trying to reach. And so the information is so relatable to everyday humans. I consider myself an everyday human and I need science to be explained in a way that I'm like, oh, that's what's happening. Now I get it. Oh, and here's a tool. Here's how I can breathe. Or here's why I should put my phone away at night because it's hijacking my sleep. Those are, you know, really practical things that, you know, a lot of, we're a lot of times telling our kids, put your phones down, put your phones down, put your phones down. But when we understand why, it gives us more passion and more, you know, conviction to actually make a change in our behavior. Again, the latest in this series is called A Trusted Space, Meeting the Moment. Lori Woodley is the founder and CEO of the nonprofit organization All It Takes. Where do folks go to see the videos in the series and download these tools? Everything is free at atrustedspace.org. Such an important resource for an important and yet very challenging profession. Lori, thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris. Have a great day. So the countdown is on to Super Bowl 58. 
It is the biggest single day sporting event on the planet. And beyond that, it is a cultural event in this country that goes well beyond the games. Not just the players who need to be at their best. It is the biggest stage for advertisers as well, where the stakes are just as high and the pressure is just as intense. We are joined this morning by Dave Schaffner. He is captain of the Spot Bowl, which is America's largest Super Bowl ad poll and has been for 20 years they've been doing this. Uh, Dave, first of all, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. So what is it about the the Super Bowl advertising that it has become such a culture event? Why are we so fascinated with the Super Bowl commercials? You know, I, I think it's the one time of the year, and, and we can all relate to this, it's the one time of the year we take our bathroom breaks during the game, you know, not during the commercials. <laughs> but I, I, I think the big reason for that is you have such a high concentration of, of great ads, right? And we see great advertising year-round, don't get me wrong. In fact, I've seen a lot better advertising outside the Super Bowl. But the Super Bowl is a three-hour event where we see so many high-quality ads, and we're seeing them for the first time. You know, these are all new spots. So I think all of those factors combined make it really, you know, something uh, uh, folks want to tune in for. And, of course, uh, the NFL and the uh, broadcast networks know that, uh, and so they charge a premium for the Super Bowl. It delivers a lot of eyeballs, but is, what is it up to now, like $7 million for a, a single ad? Is it worth it? Seven million, yeah, and that's just for thirty seconds. A lot of the spots we're going to be seeing on Sunday are sixty seconds long, so that's a fourteen million dollar investment. But you know, I think by and large, it is worth it. That's our opinion here at Spot Bowl and and, and Pavone Group because you know when you think about how many people are watching the game, a hundred, hundred and ten million is the most watched TV event of the year. But they're like I said, watching the commercials. It's the only TV event where we're watching the commercials. So that money, eyeballs, that much attention paid to the commercials, it really is a good investment if. If you can afford it, if you can afford it, and if you can do it right, I mean, one of the things the the story always is that there are advertisers who hit home runs to mix the sports metaphors, and those who completely fall flat on their face. What does it take? What generally uh, are the types of ads that resonate uh, best with uh, with consumers? The ones that do the best. Uh, in the uh, spot bowl, what does it take to to win the title, the advertising title for the big game? Yeah, I think effective advertising and, and, and ranking high in our polls, you know, it really comes down to telling a story and making people feel an emotion, right? You want to make an emotional connection with people. Any good story does. Uh, you can do that with humor. Uh, you can do that with something patriotic. You can do that with something sentimental. Um, uh, you can make people kind of get a little teary, but you got to make them feel an emotion. Um, but more importantly, from a marketing standpoint, you have to weave your product or your brand into that story so that people remember it. Uh, because if people are, you know, talking around the water cooler the next day and they remember the celebrity or the explosions or the punchline, but they don't remember the brand. And there are so many ads that we don't remember the brand. That they is, don't remember the brand. Yeah, that, happens, that happens so often. Uh, and it's really kind of surprising that that happens as often as it does, given how much uh, is spent on these ads, not just to place them on the game, but obviously producing the ads uh, entails uh, quite a bit of cost. Some of these are quite elaborate, so they're spending a lot of money to produce the commercials, uh, a lot of celebrity cameos uh, in in many of these ads, and, and you know that those celebrities are being paid. And so it's really kind of surprising uh, the number of uh, times where you th- go back afterwards and you say, oh, that was a great commercial, but I have no idea what they were actually advertising. 
It's true. Yeah, and I think if you look at a lot of a lot of the car ads, I always look at the car ads in the Super Bowl, and we see a lot of them. Uh, four, five, six, as many as eight different car companies in most Super Bowls. A lot of the car ads kind of run together in people's heads. You remember a fancy car or a fast car or a celebrity mm-hmm. driving a car, but it's really hard when you have that much competition in the same category to stand out and get people to remember which car. Is is some of that kind of the long game, though? I mean, how often do advertisers uh, like launch a new advertising campaign with the, uh, with the Super Bowl that is is memorable and then it's the follow-up that drives the message and the product uh home sure and that's the key too and we see that a lot i mean i always say the super bowl a super bowl ad isn't a magic bullet right you can't just pay seven million have your super bowl ad and then just kind of rest for the rest of the year and have yeah. watch sales go up you really do have to back it with a an ongoing and, and effective you know quality marketing campaign so you're right a lot of these ads we see are to launch a product or in some cases launch a brand, mm-hmm. um, but they have to. It's what they do afterwards that really kind of yeah. you know brings it home. Uh, so just like uh, after the game is over, we have all of the post-game analysis and people share their thoughts on the competition on the field. We do the same when it comes to the advertising game. And again, this is one of the few. Uh, events uh, where not only do we pay attention to the commercials, but we actually rate them and rate their effectiveness and and have a true post-game analysis uh, on the advertising. And that's what the Spot Bowl uh, does. Talk a little bit about uh, this uh, ad poll that you do every year. Sure. Well, we're an ad agency here in uh, Pennsylvania called Pavone Group. And what we did 20 years ago, because you know, we knew that 50% of the people watching the game were watching just for the ads. We wanted to give them a voice, so we created Spot Bowl. And over the years, it's grown into America's largest Super Bowl commercial poll. You can go there right now, um, and, and the, the pre-release ads, so a lot of companies pre-release their ads. We've got all the pre-release ads on the site already for pre-game voting, and I just uploaded some last night. At last count, we had 24 of the ads that you'll see on Sunday already on the site for viewing and voting. That's about half of the lineup. Uh, with that in mind, what are the, what are the ads based on the ones that have been released and the teasers for the ads? This, this is the other thing that I think is funny. Uh, now these days, uh, advertisers will actually advertise teasers for the advertisements that they will run during the Super Bowl. What are the ones that are generating the most pregame buzz? There's a couple. You know, there's a couple that are generating buzz and they're generating votes in our poll. Uh, Dove's got a spot uh, called Hard Knocks. It's about uh, positive body images for girls and it helps them keep, uh, keeps girls in sports. Um, they've teamed up with Nike for that cause. Uh, that's a really great spot. You know, a lot of the ads we're going to see are going to use humor. That one uses a more serious tone. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to stand out. Uh, one that's using humor that I love a lot is from Reese's. It's called Yes. And it's about uh, uh, some new changes that they're making to the Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and then people overreacting to those changes. A lot of slapstick humor in that one. Okay. It's a classic funny spot. All right. Very good. Gives us something to uh, look forward to. And generally, at the end of the day, uh, is there a, a winning formula? I mean, over the years, is there a, a type of spot that, that stands out the most that typically uh, you know, has a, a, an upper hand in taking the spot mole title? You know, I would say uh, animals and talking babies, but uh, <laughs> I think it, it, humor is certainly the emotion that a lot of advertisers like to evoke. We like to laugh, right? And that's yeah. why we're watching the Super Bowl, because we want to have a good time and, and laugh and have fun with our friends. So humor is the, is the emotion, I say, 
uh, more often than not wins wins our spot ball poll. But but really, like I said, you have to you have to strike an emotional chord. You have to connect with people and entertain them, and that's that's really what these spots are going to have to uh, have to do to do well in our poll. So, if folks want to take part in this, where do we find the spot bowl? You can go to spotbowl.com, pretty simple, spotbowl.com. And like I said, right now you can watch half of the lineup already up there, including that dub spot that I mentioned, including that Reese's spot that I mentioned, and a lot of others. We will uh, have a link. We actually have the link up there at our webpage right now at goodmornings.net if you want to find that. Uh, And we will check in again with Dave Schaffner on Monday, day after uh, the big game, to uh, find out how people reacted to all of these incredibly expensive ads and whether uh, that money was worth it and for which advertisers uh, spent the money, uh, made the investment the best. Um, Again, Dave Schaffner is captain of the Spot Bowl. It is America's largest Super Bowl ad poll uh, now in its 21st year. Dave, thanks very much for taking the time uh, this morning. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. The New York State Department of Environmental Conservation uh, recently had a uh, situation, a very unusual situation uh, that they uh, had to deal with, something that you uh, don't see every day, certainly. This is in Patterson, New York. It's about 75 miles north of New York City, where suddenly at a, uh, a, a, a park, at a local park, they uh, were seeing the unexplained appearance of bright red squirrels. <laughs> squirrels that were bright red. Squirrels generally aren't bright red. Uh, they do have red squirrels, but they're kind of a, a, a deep, naturally a deep red um, you know, brown squirrels, black squirrels, and these deep red color. But these are bright red squirrels. Nobody knew what was going on here. Um, uh, according to investigators, turns out that the squirrels, uh, investigators discovered, were being intentionally painted red and released back into the wild. Somebody was intentionally painting the squirrels red. They have found the person responsible. They say he was caught red-handed, quite literally, uh, after a surveillance operation. Uh, apparently, um, the suspect admitted to trapping the squirrels and painting them in order to keep track of those that were returning to his property. He wanted to track the squirrels, <laughs> but he didn't tag them or anything or banned them. He painted them red. Wanted to keep track of the squirrels returning to his yard. Um, <laughs> after concluding the investigation, environmental conservation officers posted on Facebook, never thought we'd have to say this, but please don't paint the squirrels. <laughs> please don't paint the squirrels. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, something you don't hear uh, every day. A uh, warning from environmentalists saying, don't paint the squirrels. <laughs> Elsewhere in the broken news, our nominee for dumb criminal of the day is the uh, suspect arrested in connection with a burglary of a coin shop in Tacoma, Washington. Apparently, 
police found his name on one of the items he left behind. (laughs) Back in December, someone entered a vacant building and cut a hole through a cinder block wall to get into the Bellevue Rare Coin store next door. They used a long pole to trip the motion sensor to make the owner think it was a false alarm. The suspect, Robert McGee, then entered the store and... uh, Apparently, he uh, made off with bags of gold and silver, uh, bags of gold and silver bars and coins. Um, police eventually found the coins in Mr. McGee's home and also some of the uh, stolen merchandises in his mother's home. He now faces burglary and other charges. What led police investigators to Mr. McGee was the fact that police found a crowbar uh, in the uh in the store with his name on it <laughs> uh, well you you don't want to lose it you want to you know you want to get it back if you you know happen to drop your crowbar at a break-in or something you want to make sure that you can get it back <laughs> those things aren't cheap so <laughs> his name on it they left behind dum da dum dum not to be outdone dumb criminal number two uh, comes from Georgetown County, South Carolina, where it didn't take a lot of detective work to track down the suspect in a recent kidnapping. Despite donning a ski mask to attempt to hide his identity, police were, identi- were able to identify Jonathan Perry as the alleged kidnapper of his on-again, off-again girlfriend because the camouflage vest that he was wearing had his name written on it. <laughs> his name on the... He, he was... He went. It was detailed enough to wear a ski mask to conceal his identity, but then wore uh, the camo vest that had his name stitched on it. <laughs> Oops. Uh, he is uh, facing multiple charges in that case. <laughs> uh, let's see. Now, this is unusual. This from Bellevue, Washington, where, where uh, a rocket... A rocket, the type of rocket used to carry nuclear warheads, was recently found in the garage of a home there in Bellevue. Now, let me repeat that. A rocket of the type used to carry a nuclear warhead recently found in the garage of a home in Bellevue, Washington. Bomb squad members inspected the rocket, which was identified as a Douglas Air 2 Genie, an unguided air-to-air rocket designed to carry a nuclear warhead during the Cold War era. (laughs) It's a rocket launcher designed to carry nuclear... Uh, Now, they were quick to point out that no warhead was attached, and it had no rocket fuel, so there was no real danger here. Uh, The missile was deemed to be an artifact with no explosive hazard. Um... And because the rocket, which had belonged to the now-deceased homeowner, because it is inert, police left the item with the neighbor to be restored for display in a museum. (laughs) So apparently it's okay to have a rocket launcher as long as you don't have a nuclear warhead to to launch. (laughs) But that would make you feel a little uneasy. You find out that one of your neighbors had a nuclear rocket launcher in his garage. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> not something you expect to see at every estate sale, but, you know. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, 
Um, this turned out to be a false alarm. So a story with a happy ending here. Firefighters in Bedford, New York, responded to what turned out to be a false alarm at a local farm. And they believe the culprit who had uh, triggered the false alarm was a horse named Jax. After inspecting the area, uh, officials determined that Jax was the only one near the fire alarm and therefore the only possible suspect. They believe the horse reached out of its stall and touched off the alarm by biting down on the on the alarm lever with its mouth. <laughs> All of a sudden, firefighters start showing up at the <laughs> at the farm. The owners have no idea what's going on. They can't find anything. Uh, fortunately, no one was injured due to Jack's horsing around. <clears throat> no fire was farmed. They found the uh, animal was just horsing around. But I'm bum. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Hey, folks, it's game day, and the betting's going to be intense, Drew. You said it, Dave, but a good pregame routine keeps betting responsible. That's right. you got to pause before you play. Good call. Sports betting is hot, but it can be risky. And pausing to set limits is an all-star move. That's right, Dave. If you bet on sports, pause before you play to set limits, recognize the risk, and know when to stop. Learn more at pausebeforeyouplay.org. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Um, at the intersection of relationships and money, we're coming up on Valentine's Day, so we're thinking all things uh, relationships these days. Very interesting uh, stuff. And and this is just the latest in a number of research projects that uh, test the old axiom that money can't buy happiness. Researchers, uh, these are... Uh, This is an international research uh, project uh, where researchers wanted to see if this connection between money and happiness uh, or the lack thereof was still true in societies where money does not play a significant role in daily life. I mean, this is the ultimate test of whether money can buy happiness. They uh, surveyed almost 3000 people from indigenous and local communities in developing nations. I mean, places where they have no money at all. And they found that people in these communities, and there were like almost two dozen communities all over the world, developing countries, uh, that they uh, surveyed. The people in these communities were able to live happy lives despite a lack of money. About 64% of households in the study had any cash income at all. Only 64% had any income at all. Many populations with very low monetary incomes report very high average levels of life satisfaction, according to the lead author, Eric Galbraith. Uh, They see similar scores in wealthy countries. So money, uh, or the lack thereof, was not, as it turned out, a factor. As a matter of fact, uh, the highest happiness score in the subject uh, in the study came from a farming community in Guatemala, where the average value of all assets in the community was only thirty five hundred dollars per household. That's not their income. 
That's how much they had the value of all the stuff they owned. $3,500. That's it. And yet they were the happiest, had the happiest score of uh, any community in the study. So, again, further proof that money cannot buy happiness. That being said, however, (laughs) would you want to know how much money your significant other has in the bank and how much money he or she makes? Only 10% of Americans say they know their partner's salary. This is a separate poll of 2,000 adults in a serious relationship. Only 10% say they know how much money their significant other makes. Only 10%. Uh, 15% say that they don't know how much their partner has in savings or what their credit score is. So you're much more likely to know how much our partner has saved up or how credit worthy they are, more so than knowing their everyday salary. Uh, 27% of Gen Zers say they keep deliberately keep their credit score from their partner. They don't want their partner to know their credit score, 27%. Other common financial secrets include how much debt someone has, where they spend their money, and how many different bank accounts they have. This is a survey, by the way, is uh, conducted by uh, Chime, the financial services app. They found that 30% of Americans prefer a partner with a high salary, but only 10% know their partner's salary. So I thought that was uh, kind of interesting. Um, 43% say whoever makes the most money should pay the most bills <laughs> in a relationship, which I, I guess does uh, make a, a certain amount of logic to that. But I, I just thought that was it kind of blew me away. Only 10% know their uh, partner's salary. How do they file taxes? How do they file your taxes? Or do you file separately? As you know, I, I don't know. Or do you take it to uh, an accountant? They file it. They don't tell. The, tell you that? I, I it just surprised me. So happening around town on Friday, it is a truly hypnotizing show that you will not want to miss. Uh, quite literally, the world's funniest comedic hypnotist is coming to the University of Findlay, courtesy of the uh, Student Activities Board. And uh, Sharinda Welton is uh, with us from the University of Findlay, along with uh, Colleen Albu. Do I have that right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, she is a, a member of the uh, Student Activities Board, student at the uh, University uh, of Findlay. And so, first of all, uh, what is a comedic hypnotist? Explain what this show is, uh, is like, what it's all about. <laughs> you want me to you can you yeah, can yeah, both yeah. jump in anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Salish is a comedic hypnotist. In the show he does, he invites volunteers to come up. Okay, he puts them under his spell, mm-hmm. and then through suggestions, they become the performers. So he is there as basically the MC as the hypnotist, but the show really belongs to the audience. You know, and it's funny because normally when we have shows, especially with comedians, we like to play a little uh, clip of yes. uh, some of their work, but this is very much a visual uh, event. It's hard to, on the radio, uh, get the, the feel for what exactly is going on. Because, Correct. you know, like you said, the the volunteers are the performers. Correct. In, in Yes, and, and every show's different. We've had Salish on campus over the years, multiple mm-hmm. times, yeah. and it always depends on who 
decides to come out, what kind of show it's going to be. <laughs> Colleen, uh, given that you are on the uh, Student Activities Board, are, are you like uh, mandated to be a volunteer uh, for this? Are you going to be up there getting hypnotized? And I will not be getting hypnotized. <laughs> <laughs> you volunteer to come in today. I've done my duty and I'm not going to be hypnotized. Um, because you never know what uh, these guys uh, and gals might do. Correct. And, uh, well, and what's really cool, his voice is so smooth. Mm-hmm. that, And he's the only hypnotist that I've seen this happen. And we, I've worked with many over the years. But while he's putting the people to sleep on the stage, people will fall asleep off stage and he will go out into the audience and, because the audience is really quick to point him out look over here, look over over here. here. Yeah. and he'll go over and he'll you know pick up their hand and kind of tug on them to see if they're really under yeah. and if they are he'll invite them to come up and then lead them up to the stage see now this is uh, is one of those we've all seen these performances done uh-huh, on like uh-huh. television and and so on and i always wonder uh, if this is legit, um, you know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. It, it just seems too crazy uh-huh. to actually be true. Uh huh. Well, I'm one of those crazy people. <laughs> and I <laughs> have, have you done this yes, before? I have. And after it's over with, I sleep so amazingly that <laughs> night. Your body just is so relaxed. Uh, but I will say that, uh, Salesh, in in addition to doing the comedic hypnotism, he's also a licensed hypnotherapist, so he can help with medical and conditioning and really that kind of thing. So he has worked with me um, both on the medical side as well as on the fun side. Yeah, and, and my students are very proud of the fun side. Of <laughs> I'm I'm sure. Now he's done this, uh, as we mentioned. He is the world's funniest comedic hypnotist. And uh, he is well known. He is MTV. Uh, for yeah, what he does. He is uh, MTV has um, th- toted him as the world's funniest. Uh, Norway loves him. The like he is an really? ambassador for Norway. Yeah, and is then, he Norwegian? No, he's no? not. He, he so just that's he was kind of born random. in India. Okay, and then his family moved to Canada, and then he became a double green card holder and so or card holder. So mm-hmm. he with Canada. And then um, he and his family live in California, so okay. that's home base for him. So just but he, Norway being kind of random there. Well, it's, yeah, Europe loves him. They they pull him in all the time for and shows. And he's been here before. He has. This will be his fifth or sixth time with the university. The students love him. He's just such a nice guy off stage too. Uh, so the event is on Friday. It's mm-hmm. at the Alumni Memorial Union, right? Yes, is it's it? in the okay. multi-purpose room. Okay, so uh, how do uh, folks get tickets? So we aren't doing pre-sale tickets, so it'll be $10 at the door. Just $10 at the door. And, and this is open to everyone. It's yes. the uh, Student Activities Board putting this on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so I'm assuming most much of the uh, audience will be uh, students. A lot of staff. them will be students, yep. But Faculty, the community staff, is the community uh, certainly is invited, welcome. yeah. Yes, and it's uh, cash. Okay, ten dollars cash mm-hmm. uh, at the door. And uh, what's the what time is the is the show? Uh, the show starts at eight. Starts at eight mm-hmm. on uh, Friday evening. Uh, Sharon, to talk a little bit about the student activities board. I know we've talked about this before, sure. but for the benefit of those who who don't know, sure. uh, this is a really uh, interesting group of uh, students. Um, it's a very special group yeah. in the fact that you can be any major, you can f- come from any part of the country or 
any part of the world for that matter mm -hmm. and join this group and you have the opportunity to network with students and build your network your relationships but in addition to that you have a voice of what programming comes to campus all students graduate and undergraduate pay a student activities fee mm -hmm. out of that fee that the when it's put into a pot a percentage of that is given to student activities board and is they then are entrusted with it to choose programming in lots of different categories that will provide an opportunity for students to experience something that maybe they've not experienced before and or they're familiar with it they love it and they can pull friends in so we it part of student activities board's mission is diverse edutainment the students working behind the scenes are learning how to network with professionals mm -hmm. as well as do sound and lights and host and negotiate contracts market but then the people that are coming in and sitting down it's edutainment for them too they're being exposed to a style right. uh, experiencing that firsthand and then for the students we're empowering them to have a point of reference when they get into internships or their professional development down the road mm -hmm. where when people are talking about something they've taken a chance on this programming and they they have a, a point of reference that they can be a part of that conversation so all kinds of different uh, entertainment uh events, yes. edutainment yes. Uh, inter whether it's you know in this case Celesh uh with the uh, comedic hypnotist you and comedians music, music uh speakers leadership development putting on dances yes and, you know those yes. kinds of things so all kinds all kinds of, uh, of things theme that, dancing dance it, lessons yeah yeah so it, it really is very very involved a lot of things that go on on campus uh through the student activities board and uh as colleen you are are you majoring in as Sharinda was mentioning anyone with any major can can participate are you majoring in something that would directly relate to you know entertainment and that kind of thing or um no so i'm a business management and international business major well there you go and mm -hmm. so obviously there are a lot of business management goes into yes. this. Mm -hmm. so, yes. Yeah. So some real world uh, uh -huh. education going uh -huh. on uh -huh. uh, with respect yeah. to that as well. Yeah. We like to take what students have had the opportunity to learn before they get to the collegiate setting mm -hmm. and then what they continue to develop and learn in their classwork and give them real life real-time experience yeah. in an environment where mistakes can be made mm -hmm. and learn from and it not have a negative impact on the life right i have had students come back over the years that have said you know i got really mad at you when you corrected me for <laughs> x y and z but, but i just saw that happen to someone in yeah. my workplace and they got exactly. walked out and fired Anybody so who, uh, it's learning has ever, uh, if, if you know the history of the fire festival you know how important yes. it is to make oh, sure yeah. things go, yeah. go off without a hitch uh, so, Selesh is Friday evening. Give us all of the uh, details once again, Colleen. So, it'll be Friday evening at the Alumni Memorial Union in the multi-purpose room. Doors open at 730. Uh, the show starts at 8, and it's $10 at the door, cash only. Very good. Uh, and everybody invited out is going to be a, a terrific show. Uh, once again, uh, Colleen Albu with us uh, this morning and uh, Sharinda Welton with the Student Activities Board at the uh, University of Findlay. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information. Ladies, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the stuff you've heard us talk about on the program at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the show, 
The final projects in the long-running Blanchard Valley Flood Mitigation Plan were supposed to break ground this year. Now that's been put on hold yet again as officials await federal grant money. We'll talk about this latest delay. And a local filmmaker talks about the premiere of his latest project and its many Findlay connections. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out, make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.